welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today we are going to be looking at Shaden Sharp. Just a bit of a scouting report on him, what his upside is, and all the buzz surrounding him with the Oklahoma City Thunder. He has been the hottest name in the last week, so just want to discuss him as a prospect and if he legitimately could fall to that 12th pick for the Thunder. I also want to talk about Russell Westbrook in his appearance in Oklahoma City yesterday. He ended up showing up for his charity. He actually opened an outdoor court in Oklahoma City. So I want to delve into that and to top it all off, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. Starting things out though with Shane Sharp, guys. It appears like every single week in this draft conversation, and it's for every lottery team, it's just because OKC has so many picks, there are going to be in a lot more conversations and a lot more prospects will be brought to the table. But every week, there's a new hot name that is mentioned. A week or two ago, the name was Jeremy Sohan, and that was about it. Joe Musato did a great job covering his pre-draft process, worked out with the Thunder, and then immediately had an interview with Joe, and he's talking about how he had a very good workout. There were already lots of comments how good of a fit Sohan would be defensively. So everyone was on that train, and then it just veered off out of nowhere this last week, and it is the Shaden Sharp hype train in Bricktown circles right now. None has been more captivating, I'd say, than the Sharp talk. And I think it's because just the type of prospect he is and kind of the direction of this Thunder franchise. So I want to do a more in-depth talk on Sharp as a player and kind of where he falls in terms of a lottery simulation and if he could legitimately be there when OKC comes up to bat for their second selection in the first round so just starting it off with sharp as a prospect he is one of the you know biggest stories that is in this draft class because his path is a lot different than most of the players that you'll find in particular in this lottery conversation he did not play collegially and technically he was with the Kentucky Wildcats to close out the season, but he never stepped foot in an actual game, just committed after leaving his prep school. Um, but, you know, he's one of the select few that is in consideration at the top. We saw someone in Leonard Miller who didn't play collegially this year. He went through the pre-draft process, obviously not as, you know, a lottery-considered guy, but he ended up going to the G League Ignite probably due to just not having that first-round buzz he expected. Sharp still has that, and he's had pretty high evaluations leading into his entrance to the draft. He was projected to be the number one prospect in the 2022 high school recruiting board. That's where ESPN pegged him, and he was going to be one of the top names in next year's draft class, which looks to be one of the stronger classes at the top of the board right now. But anyways, started out following a very impressive EYBL campaign in the summer with Dream City Christian. That's a private school in Glendale, Arizona. But he already had all his high school credits completed when the season started last year. 
And I guess they just realized that or they knew, but, you know, I don't don't know how it worked out. But they figured it out, and he decided that he wanted to declare for this upcoming draft class. So he got pulled from Dream City Christian and enrolled at Kentucky in January. Even though he didn't play, very good summer outputs in the EYBL. He averaged 22.6 points, 5.8 rebounds, and 2.7 assists. And that's why there's so much potential attached to him. He's also six foot six, 200 pounds. So he does translate as your two guard heading forward. Getting into his strengths that you can pick apart from his game, the biggest thing is just how explosive of an athlete he is premier and in this draft there are two players that are in this category I'd say Jaden Ivey is a bit better because of how he's able to create avenues in the lane but as high-flying guards you're not going to find better players than Jaden Ivey and Shaden Sharp in this draft class so much acceleration towards the cup and he will fly at you but he can also pop out the uh the parachute if you will And he does a very good job when it comes to kind of hanging in air and getting some of these layups off. This is a very intriguing factor, though, just having this sort of athleticism because we've seen it with guards in the past. um, And this is just off of comparisons like Zach Levine and and Jalen Green, for example, where in transition, they are dangerous in a half court setting. They're dangerous if they get to the cup and they can also be utilized as lob threats. He had a pro day type deal a couple months ago and he clocked a 49 inch vertical leap and if that stands true that sets a record for NBA players below him you have Keon Johnson and MJ with 48 inch verticals so that is a really big talking point for him and when you look at other great leapers in the NBA. Levine had a 46-inch vertical leap, and John Morant had a 44-inch one. So he is in very high company, and if you want to cut it off, I mean, he's in a co- he's accompanied by himself. You don't have other people jumping 49 inches on that vertical leap. You saw in high school that he was just dominant as an interior force, and it wasn't just off of these like driving dunks that I- I've been talking about here. I don't think this is going to be part of his game moving forward just due to how NBA games are spaced and what his role would be, but he is a good standing dunker as well where he'd kind of sneak in through the lane if he has his guard driving inside and they would dump it down to him right below the iron, just go up off two, would be able to elevate and finish off some pretty beautiful dunks. Um, I think that big area though is obviously what he's doing on the move because He's not going to be playing paint in most situations. You probably want to lodge him at a wing and try using him off ball. If there's kind of some stagnation in the offense, you give the ball to him, let him isolate a little bit, see if he's able to get some shot at the iron. But the big thing is, obviously, when he gets to the iron, he can get his head to rim level, like legit staring down at it, and... His range of of flight almost is ridiculous. You saw some lob passes where they were pretty errant. Most guys, there's zero chance they're able to corral this and throw it down. Sharp stays in the air, extends, gets the basketball in his hand, 
and throws it down with some big time authority. These are like ESPN type highlights, you know, if they were keeping tabs on Dream City for the beginning of this season. But he was um, very good in that area. And just as that lob piece in general, if you were not paying attention to him in transition, his teammates were going to find him on these oops and he would convert at a very high rate. I think that's something that obviously translates, but the bigger piece of it is probably as a backdoor piece. I think that's where he holds an insane amount of value, especially if he's in Oklahoma City system just due to how some of their ball handlers and SGA and Josh Giddy play. But he could knife to the basket and basically in no time he'd accelerate, get the ball, and it'd already be up and in before you could really even you know, get to him. Just he had enough Excel to get that first step on his defender and he would go inside for posters. But even on some more advanced stuff, like reverse layups are most definitely in his bag. He had mid-court or mid-air adjustments, excuse me, basically all the time. And for me, that is something that I value heavily. The comparison I always use on layups actually dates back to Hamadou Diallo and what he kind of does. It's almost a signature of his where he would drive through the top of the key, get inside, pass the foul line, rise up for these layups, and he'd immediately take contact. That's just how he is as a prospect. But he'd take that hit, he'd reach the apex of his kind of jump there, and for most, you'd expect on that apex to try to make a push shot off that layup. Instead, he would just hang at that apex, and he has momentum on his side. He just excelled. You know, he's like a bull charging at somebody, whereas, you know, his defender had to, in all reality, like rotate over, and he's going to be on the decline before Diallo is. So he just hangs up there, and once he sees his defender go down, he's going to start shooting the basketball up, and, and sometimes he's also going down. But he gets a much better look at it because his defender, they're on the downward spiral. You know what I mean? It's not met at the apex type deal where they're at their best for contesting shots. That's a quality that Sharp has shown, and it's something that I think would carry over. The big thing is just being able to stay in the air and kind of dazzle with uh, some of those adjustments that he's able to uncork. That is a very talented skill set that he has. And another thing is just the shooting. And it's more of the potential with Sharp. I'm not a big fan of his jump shot release. I think it should be a little bit quicker, but it's not the ugliest looking jump shot that I've seen. The results are something that definitely need to be improved upon. And this is what is sort of walling him off from being a lock for this top six type of prospect which he very well still could be you know this is all kind of buzz that we're hearing that he could be in the cards for 12 now it was not that way two weeks ago I can assure you of that but I think shooting would be one of the primary reasons as to how that happens he was very shaky as a three-point shooter at the EYBL level Um, excuse me not even at the EYBL level it was more so at the Dream City uh, Christian games. And he played 12 games with them, and he shot 3 of 16 on triples. That is not great. The reason that he was obviously pumped up, though, and why you're looking highly at it, is the EYBL games where he's dropping 22.6 per contest. He shot 28 of 77 
on those triples. That's 36.4%. You got to take into account that three-point line is moved in. You're not playing against collegiate defenses, but you know when you're talking shoot-around type, he was able to convert on those shots, and that has to have you know some sort of credit to it. He gets the ball out in a timely fashion. It's just, for me, I'd like to see him get it off a little bit better. It, it has gotten the job done. Just is he going to be able to kind of fine-tune it to adjust to some of these harder closeouts that he'll find at the NBA level? He's going to have to work on self-creation. I'll go into that in a little bit. But just in terms of the base here, he shoots pretty deep triples that are close to NBA level threes. He shoots off of DHOs, pull-ups are in the mix. Just a very advanced blend for, you know, where he currently was playing at. You know, just too many options, really, for what you had in an 18-year-old. And that's what gives him this sort of alluring potential as a shooter. I don't think there's a set in stone verdict on him right now. It's really his big swing factor because if he's not a good shooter at the NBA level, it really limits him as an off-ball piece, but that also taps into his playmaking ability. He has some dribble moves. It's not necessarily elite yet, and due to that, it also stifles how he's able to operate and how many times he can get to the basket. Basically makes him a person you have to use as a backdoor player. And a lot of value now shifts to the defensive side for how he's able to stay on the floor. A three-pointer, though, really pumps it up to him being that three-level scorer and hitting a ceiling that is higher than a lot of players that you'll find in this draft class. And it makes the scoring outputs very big as well. One of the main things that will correlate uh, with that points is how he's able to play just as a ball handler. I don't think he's going to be your lead playmaker in, in any given system, but his on-ball moves do give some reason to believe he could be a, a little bit of your microwave type where he can play that sidekick role almost as CJ McCollum does to Lillard when they were together, just alleviating some of the pressure from the star and being that microwave cooker who sometimes can get on those big-time tangents and, and go on those uh, high-level scoring outbursts. Anyways, though, I think ball handling for Sharp is at his best when he is looking to play on the attack. Makes most of his dribble moves at the perimeter, so once he reaches the interior, you don't really look for much surprises with him. Does a good job on size-ups, good with between the legs, and he does... A lot of step backs uh, to get into his jump shot. Now, he, he relies a lot on it. It did open up some avenues, and step backs are one of the more important elements to have in your game, especially for guards now. Like, if you have that Jalen Green type of step back, you are immediately going to be looked at at scouts because that is a salivating factor that just opens up so much room for you as a sharpshooter. Needs to get a work a bit on the separation, but it's nice to see that as part of his game. And I think that kind of also connects to the on-ball skills because that's going to create you those open looks at the perimeter just as, you know, you're between the legs or your size up could do in getting that attempt in the lane. He sometimes will go up for step-back jump shots when he is charging at the basket. 
if he doesn't find that window to take it, he'll still continue his dribble and kind of see where the options are. As a passer, he had some very nifty clips. He had a 1.8 assist to turnover ratio, which is pretty solid uh, when you kind of take into account everything. Is it elite? No, but it is a respectable average to have. I think the ball handling is more of just like that instrument for him to be a scorer. As a true playmaker, there haven't been like too many instances of having to read those passing lanes, but being able to be an on-ball creator with that handle, with some of the passing ability, definitely opens up how you could use them maybe with pick-and-roll play, on-ball play, and, and just as the score that he is cut out to be. The combine would have been crucial for him. Now, obviously, he dodged it. That pro day was big with the 49-inch vertical, and he has been conducting some pre-draft workouts. But basically, the story on him is that he just has so much potential, and due to his size and due to his leaping ability, everyone's kind of putting a big magnifying glass on him and looking to see where he can develop as a prospect. So that's my quick hit piece on kind of my evaluation on him. Didn't touch up too much on defense. That's one area where people have been concerned. He looks solid. Sometimes he would be a bit off his game in terms of like defensive awareness. The big reason you take him though is how you value his offensive game and really trusting that he's able to develop as a shooter as a ball handler and be able to play on or off the ball at a very high level because if so that's when you start talking about being a top guy on your team and leading your team in scoring potentially I want to talk more about the Thunder and how they've gotten into the rumor mill with Sharp in one second here but first I want to let you guys know about a very special offer Going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA Finals? With a DraftKings Same Game Parlay, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds and more, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals, and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Continuing along though on the Shade and Sharp talk. I want to talk about how he has been linked to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And just this big storm of rumors that has come across with him. And not pick number two, but pick number 12. And this hasn't really been the conversation until about a week ago. I would say that he could fall down to 12. But now that the idea is out there, everyone is looking at it. Not as 
a trade-up option anymore. Can you trade up to seven or eight to get Sharp? It's let's just wait, and he could fall to 12, which um, would be crazy value, <laughs> needless to say, for what Oklahoma City wants. This all really rooted from ESPN writer Jonathan Giovoni um, posting on Saturday a piece kind of breaking down how OKC should go about the draft. And this article had them with 2, 12, 30, and 34. This was prior to the Thunder-Denver exchange that happened yesterday, but it really doesn't impact how this works at the top of the board. He had Chet going number two. That is something we've seen just about everywhere, so no surprise. But 12 with Shade and Sharp is a take and, and something in a mock that just has not been like shown at all really because he's been deemed a top 10 top 8 consensus prospect in these mock drafts and you don't really cross investigate that too much but Javoni in his article had some pretty big quotes from this piece he obviously mentioned like you know the floor might be 12 here for Oklahoma City in, in terms of sharp but in direct relation to Sharp, maybe some news tidbits with him and then the Thunder, here's what he had to say. He said, Sharp is conducting competitive three-on-three workouts for most, but not all of the teams picking in the top 10, with his floor likely being this spot for the Thunder, who will be getting a visit and have studied him more closely than any team in the NBA. Sharp's camp also doesn't sound overly concerned with where he's picked preferring to take a long-term view and steering him to an advantageous development situation in which he can maximize his significant potential and become an all-star, with the Thunder being at the top of that list. Here's the big three takeaways. For one, not all teams in the top 10 are working out Sharp. Sharp is visiting with the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Thunder are at the top of Sharp's list. And to add on a fourth, the Thunder have studied him closer than any team in the NBA. Yeah, that holds some value. It tells you a little bit into some front offices' perspectives on Sharp. Maybe that, you know, they are fans of him, but they don't know about the situation or whatnot. Just knowing that some teams in the top 10 haven't worked him out or aren't planning to might you know, feed into the idea of him sliding all the way down to 12. And then the mutual interest that is almost created with these paragraphs here. You know, Sharp not only is visiting with the Oklahoma City Thunder, but sounds like that's where his camp would like him to go. The Thunder being at the top of his list, as it said here. The idea of wanting to prefer to take that long-term view is actually pretty smart. And for a player such as Shaden Sharp in his camp, it's not actually unheard of to see them do this, whether it's just not having him working out at spots they don't like. It is a play that um, is obviously risky, but it makes sense. And the reason I say this is because you will see Second round picks with a ton of potential just go to hellish situations and fizzle out after three, four years. And you'll see posts that are like, these are players that I thought really highly of, but they just never panned out in the NBA. A lot of the time it has to do with your situations. 
I would say a lot of the role players in the league are where they are because they were put in the right situation. Because a lot of different people can't perform in the NBA. It's just about what teams you know need their set role um, that they could provide. And the example that I'll go to is Melvin Frazier Jr., who just came off this two-way deal with the, with the Thunder, played with the Blue for two seasons, then got shipped off uh, to the Iowa Wolves. But his career started with the Orlando Magic. He was taken one slot before Mitchell Robinson, I believe, in the second round. And he looked great coming out of Tulane. As a junior, he was shooting 40% from three. Looked like a monster on the defensive end. Six foot six with a seven foot two wingspan. That has all the inklings of a two-way guard at the NBA level. But he couldn't play in the NBA because they already had so many different guards and they continued to pile up guard after guard that basically had the exact same archetype as him. So he had to play in the G League with the Lakeland Magic. Two years in a row, he was an all-star level player in the G League. But he still couldn't play with the Magic because they signed guys like Wes Awundu. Jonathan Simmons was part of that team as well. And you still had other members hanging around with some minutes there. I think Evan Fournier would have been in that conversation as well. But they always had another 15th man to replace him. So what happened? He hardly played with the Magic. Got you know, basically dealt away after three seasons. They didn't pick him up again. And he wound up in the OKC Thunder's G League system. If you would have placed him on the Thunder, I think he would have actually still been a good role player in the league because the Thunder needed what Frazier possessed, but they didn't have draft picks. I think this was the year they selected Hervey and Devon Hall in the back end of the 50s. But... They needed that two-way wing. They continued to draft guys like Terrence Ferguson, um, Josh Eustis, Andre Roberson. That's what they've always yearned for, and that's what he would have provided. I think that's why they actually came back to him and gave the um, gave him a G League contract, actually. The thing is, though, a lot can be dictated by where your landing spot is. Had Melvin Frazier gone to the Thunder or another team in desperate need of a two-way wing, he very well could be making NBA-level money right now. Instead, he just got to play NBA ball for the first time in like two seasons, and he got the biggest paycheck he's had in two seasons as well for about two weeks of work because of the two-way contract and because you just don't get paid that much under the G League and Exhibit 10 contracts. We don't know the exact financials, but... Rest assured, you're making a lot more money as a minimum contract player in the NBA. It's a bit different when looking at first-round picks, but it also gives more of an incentive for agents to do this. And this could be a major deterrent, and you know, front offices would not be happy if they wanted to work out sharp and the agency just shut him down and said, no, he's not working out for you all. But... If you want to put him in a good environment that's going to give him reps, OKC does make sense. They're still rebuilding. It's no secret they will be this season as well. And Sharp didn't play college. Didn't really play any level of basketball for about nine months, give or take, by the time he selected. So you can kind of put two and two together. Yeah, Sharp would be probably fond of the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I'm sure the Thunder would love to take him at pick 12. 
another thing that kind of panned fire to the flames here was actually off of one of Sharp's TikToks. And this was filmed on June 1st, and the media started talking about it this weekend. So there is a considerable amount of time between these two dates. And it might signal that he already worked out with the Thunder. The article before said he had a visit scheduled with the team. So you know that's in the present, but this was in the past. This was, you know, two weeks ago here. But he was working out at Team Griffin's Hoop House in OKC. You know, Blake and Taylor Griffin, their AAU squad. They got the court. He was working out at it. And from that, you can start, you know, putting out rumors. Was he over there working out with the Thunder to begin the month of June? We don't know. It's probably not going to be confirmed, but you can make your prediction on that. And I'll tell you, the media side of thing definitely ran with it, and you can't really blame them, right? But anyways, that's kind of what has led us to this point. The ESPN article, him being at the gym, and the idea of teams just not being that into him due to his potential and just not playing enough basketball. Here's my take on it. I think that Shaden Sharp has the skill set of someone that's in consideration for a top five pick. Elite athleticism. Mid-air adjustments, great at it, and he has NBA-ready size, and he just turned 19 years old. The potential is through the roof with someone like him, and if he's hitting his ceiling, he's most definitely a top five player in this draft class. The swing factors are obviously going to make or break where he falls. Can he shoot the basketball? How reliant is he going to be on that step-back jump shot? Will it create enough room at the NBA level? Is he going to be an off-ball threat? If he is, yeah, that's when we talk about the top five. But um, I guess you could raise some questions in that area, and that's why you could you know write him off as someone that could be moved outside of the top ten. In my eyes, I think a top 10 team is just destined to take him based off of the potential. I think a lot of mock drafts are based around fit, actually, when in reality you don't account for teams going best player available. I think some good examples would be like Joshua Primo going at 11 to San Antonio. And the pick right before that, Zaire Williams. The Grizzlies traded up from 17 to 10 as part of that adams Valanciunas swap. And Zaire Williams wasn't projected to go until the 20s. That's a like a potential BPA pick by the Grizzlies. And the same thing could be said with how the Spurs selected Joshua Primo. That's not how people view mock drafts. It's just not taken accounted for that people will go strictly off who's the highest on their big board. And I think some team in the top 10, in the top 11, are going to have Sharp considerably higher than number 12 and would be okay going after him, even if he is more of the long-term type of prospect. Sharp has the ability. I still think there are more question marks than some other guys that came out of high school. A premier example would be like Jalen Green if he didn't go the Ignite route. Jalen Green minus the G League Ignite, is still a top five prospect in last year's draft class because not only was he a freakish athlete, 
but he had a very good ball handling ability, and that step back three was dangerous. You knew from the high school reels that he was going to be able to move that over to the next level, and the shot wouldn't be an issue. Sharp isn't at that high of a level yet, but had he been there, had he had some of the attributes Green had in high school with that step back type of three, I'm sure that he's secured to be a top five pick, and he most definitely still can, at least top six. I think that's where it is a very reasonable card to be played. Another player, such as Jaden Hardy, could be used. He was the number two prospect in the high school class of 2021. Went to the G League Ignite, put up decent numbers, 17.7 points per game, but the splits were not good. Now, he went from a top five guy to maybe someone in the 15 to 25 range, and some have him in the second round. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he probably goes as far as 17 to Houston just based on his potential. But, you know, there there are many ways to go about it. And I think if Hardy skipped out on the G League Ignite route, he'd also be maybe in that combo for a top 10 type of pick. Here's what you need to look at. You just need to look at the top teams at the board. You need to look at the fit, but you also need to look at the tendencies that they have. Sharp, it's it's well known he has a high ceiling, right? And he's only 19 years old. That's a puzzle piece that is hard to find in the late lottery of a draft class. But we'll just start, we'll go 1 through 12 on these teams. Magic aren't going to take him at 1. The Thunder... They, they shouldn't take him at two, just based on value, right? Three, I don't think the Rockets take him. Four, you almost throw it in the conversation, but I don't think it happens. If Sacramento is looking to trade this pick, the pick probably would be Jaden Ivey, I would think. If the Kings keep it to themselves, I still think they should go Jaden Ivey based on BPA, but Keegan Murray is also there. Five with the Pistons, I most definitely think Shaden Sharp could be the fifth pick in this draft. As crazy as it sounds, based on what we've been hearing, you got to remember the potential here and what is being built in Detroit. You have a very good ball handler in Cade Cunningham. You need to get that supporting cast and you need to surround him with guys that can play off the ball but can also light up the stat sheet in terms of points. Jaden Ivey's going to do that better than just about anyone in the guard positions in this draft class, but Sharp has the potential to. They're still a rebuilding team. I think that they have enough guys that are long-term pieces, and they're going to have some improvements. I'm talking players such as Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, to just name a couple here. So they have players, and they also have Jeremy Grant, depending on if they move him or not. Sharp fits in there, and I think he'd do just fine. The question is, is Ivy available at five? Do they care about Keegan Murray? Personally, I don't think the Pistons would be touching him with the fifth pick, but you never know. I'd say the the Pistons at five is definitely one you want to circle, though. At six, another one where you got to take note. And I think four down, you need to take notice of it. The Pacers... I like the fit with Dyson Daniels. I think he has a high enough ceiling and he's shown enough, not just as a playmaker, but as a defensive threat to 
make him a, a guy parable with Tyrese Halliburton. He's actually very similar uh, to him, but that'd be a good duo. If not, high upside swing could be sharp. Keegan Murray is a good landing spot at six as well, though. The Trailblazers at seven is one where it's a total wild card, and it doesn't matter if it's related to Sharp or anybody. You can fill this in for Sohan, Malachi Branham, whoever, because the Trailblazers could be looking to pivot back to playoff standing. Lillard should be healthy. Yusuf Nurkic hopefully is going to be back and healthy. Anthony Simons is someone they put a lot of trust into when they made that C.J. McCollum deal. If they want to move out for a win-now player, I feel like there'd be some sort of market for it again. And you don't know who's picking at 7 anymore. Sharp makes sense at 7, even if the Trailblazers are there. Just going after someone that you believe could be big time with them. Is he the high-floor prospect that the Blazers would want? Is he someone that's immediately making that impact? I'm sure he'd make an impact, but I don't know if it's going to be as consistent as they like it with the way their team is built right now with Lillard and Nurkic. They haven't gone into fire sale mode, which is really where it'd just be a great pick to take Shaden Sharp. Eight with the Pelicans, another wild card. They could move out. They moved from 10 to 17 last year. Worked great picking up Trey Murphy. There are other teams in this draft class who have multiple selections in the teens. Move out from eight, get two more picks. I know now they're in a different area. They they got three very good players from last year's draft class in Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, and Jose Alvarado. I think they just probably want to take whoever they like at the eighth pick and move on with it. In terms of need... Maybe a point guard makes sense. A center, they could use another. I know they have Jackson Hayes and Valanchunas. Valanchunas is unrestricted. Could be some fiasco going on behind the scenes to where you'd need to patch it up. They also might just want to swing and go for the home run. Shaden Sharp is the home run pick for them. And they are at a spot that they really don't even need the pick. You know the trajectory is going upwards with them. Brandon Ingram was amazing in the play-ins. Everyone on this roster, amazing. In the play-ins and in the playoffs, you know, you got to remember like the Suns were (laughs) pushed up against the wall a little bit there with how the Pelicans were playing up against them. Add someone like Sharp and if you give him the reps, he's a damn good player that you can start to build around and make that like second layer to what your young core already looks like. So that's alluring. I think it's also alluring to trade it away if you are New Orleans. I would like him at 8, though, if I'm working with the Pels. At 9, San Antonio, I think they have enough guards right now. Now, granted, they took Primo last year when I could have said the same thing with the guard play they had. They had Vassell from the season before, Lonnie Walker from the years prior as well, Josh Richardson if he's hanging around. So I don't think he's at 9. I think they would rather go for a forward 10. I'd say it's unlikely just because it's the Wizards. The Wizards should take Sharp, definitely. But they continue to take high-floor type of prospects to hopefully rekindle something with 
Bradley Beal and the whole situation going on. And Beal's a great player. I think at some point you need to start looking towards the future and getting a big-time player down the line. Sharp can do it, but the track record says otherwise on how they like to select here. The Knicks, I think they'd love to go best player available. They need a center. Could go with a Jalen Duran, Mark Williams type if they're not bought in on Mitchell Robinson long-term. But if they're liking the idea of trading up for Ivy, a really good consolation prize would be Shaden Sharp here. So because of that, I think the odds of him being at 12 are ridiculously low. And I don't want to completely take it out of the conversation because I know that will crush some hearts most definitely. He's a very well-liked prospect and I really like him for how he'd work with the Thunder. I just don't think that he would fall that far, especially past like that number seven range because after the Pacers pick and even after pick four, let's say Ivy's the fourth pick, you get into a different range of prospects. I don't think that Keegan Murray's in the top conversation right there. So anyone could go. And because of that, players could start sliding. And I think for teams in this range, they'll be getting a slew of phone calls because someone's going to be going down the board that multiple teams want. And Sharp would most definitely be one of them. Trailblazers could see them trading back. The Pelicans could see them trading back. The Spurs, I don't know if they'd trade back, but they're always an option. Wizards and Knicks. I don't think they, maybe the the Wizards actually would be um, a trade back type, but Knicks, I don't know. The main case is teams are going to want Sharp, and just as I talked about, teams are going to have him higher on their big board than 12. With a prospect like this, it's just bound to be that way. And teams are going to be willing to offload future picks, move their current pick this year, and move additional picks for a win now team or someone trying to pivot you can kind of play towards that so if he is at 12 it's going to be a very good um, uh, case of events for OKC just because I think the phone call for team after team after seven will just be absolutely ridiculous and Shaden Sharp is going to be one of the guys that teams are looking to kind of go on the hunt for so that's just my view on it I think that for a player that legit was considered and this is not a front office thing this is just based off of you know the run of the mill like checking media and whatnot someone who was considered to be a better prospect for OKC than Jaden Ivey which me personally take I'll take Ivey any day of the week just because the way he's able to score right now but for that kind of player that is viewed basically as that number four, if you are pick number four, who are you taking? Sharp was the majority of the answers. For that same player to be available at 12, that is spectacular. And that makes OKC's Hall insane. I don't think you can get a better type of grade back than to not only get one of Jabari, Chet or Paolo but also 
get one of the highest upside players in the back of the lottery and kind of be one of those picks where it's like, how on earth did he slide down this far? That's my view on it. We'll see how everything breaks down and we'll see how it shakes up on draft night because honestly, I don't think that this conversation will be going away anytime soon, (laughs) to be honest. I want to finish things up here though, talking a little bit about Russell Westbrook and what he ended up doing earlier this week in Oklahoma City. He has had a charity um, of Russell Westbrook's Why Not Foundation for years now. And on Monday, with media in attendance, they gathered up. Russell Westbrook spoke. Mayor David Holt Holt spoke um, about the court. And they had a ribbon-cutting ceremony. Very good stuff. And you can find that over on Twitter. It was really well-reported by everybody in the media. And just due to, I guess, the expected attendance if they publicize this they just kept it to media members to kind of make it easy on Westbrook I guess but he had a brief speech he got the keys to Oklahoma City which is pretty dang cool and then he went off it was a pretty short speech from him but you know he said that Oklahoma City still is home does that mean he's returning I don't think that's what it means but um it was really cool seeing him back in the community where, you know, everyone in Oklahoma City adores Russell Westbrook for his time playing on the team and for some of the acts that he's doing right here, like his foundation, being able to build a basketball court at Capitol Hill High School. So very awesome to see Westbrook back in action in Bricktown. Great on the court, even better off the court. So you love to see how that um, how that all transpired. And now He can access Oklahoma City anytime he wants because he has the keys to the city. That's going to do it, though, for today's episode, guys. Make sure to tune in tomorrow. I will be dropping coverage yet again with Paulo Bancaro and his scouting report. I believe it goes over an hour, so get your popcorn ready. Second day of two pods in a day. Got draft cycle coming right at us. That means a lot more coverage will be coming from me, both on the podcast and article writing front. Other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.